It's philosophy talk. Knowing always makes things better. Think of it, the brain of a dead man, waiting to live again in a body I made with my own hands. My own hands. Is some scientific knowledge too dangerous to pursue? At first I experimented only with dead animals, and then a human heart which I kept beating for three weeks. I'm going to turn that ray on that body and endow it with life. And you really believe that you can bring life to the dead? That body is not dead. It has never lived. I created it. I made it with my own hands from the bodies I took from graves, from the gallows, anywhere. Should science be permitted to go boldly where no man has gone before? Coming right up on Philosophy Talk. After the news. Welcome to Philosophy Talk, the program that questions everything. Except your intelligence. I'm John Perry. And I'm Ken Taylor. We're coming to you from the studios of KALW in San Francisco. Continuing conversations that begin at Philosopher's Corner on the Stanford campus. Our topic today, science, ethics, and censorship. First, we're going to look at the value of science to society. Then we'll ask whether publishing information that could be dangerous, is there some way that could or should be prevented? And finally, we'll get into how to foster science in a democratic context. Here's a dilemma, John, to get us started. On the one hand, I think science is a darn good thing. Without it, human beings would still be cave-dwelling creatures believing in archaic superstitions. Contemporary science, although it brings lots of good things, it also, however, brings lots of bad things. For example, global warming, the possibility of a thermonuclear annihilation, bioterrorism, and that's just to name a few of the downsides. Well, uh, I, I agree with you uh, in this sense. Scientific curiosity is a human trait, or I guess curiosity is a human trait, and we've learned to, uh, to do science, to make careful observations, use mathematics, use experiments, publish things in a way that's objective so other people can check our results. I think that's clearly a, a, a good thing, a, a great thing, a wonderful thing. But science, just with a big capital S, that, that's really a lot more than scientific curiosity. It's a big human institution, one of the biggest, or several of the biggest. There's, there's medical science, there's weapons science, there's agricultural science. Those big institutions, it's not clear to me, they're all good things. So, so I, I like your distinction between curiosity and the scientific way of satisfying curiosity and big science on the one hand and big government and all that. But help me, how does that help us think about our dilemma? Does that clarify how we should think about our dilemma? We said science brings many goods, but it also brings many downsides in, in, its, in its trail. How, how do we think about that dilemma? Well, I don't know exactly how to think about it, but I guess my point is it's important not to confuse the various homilies and principles that, that, that make sense for scientific curiosity. You know, that it should be inhibited, it should be encouraged, it's a great thing for people to do, and not transport them automatically over into big institutional science, meaning not just the discovery, but the funding of the discovery and the implementation, applied science, industrial uses of science. Those things seem to me like legitimate things that one might want to control. I, you know, I, I think you've got a point there, and I think that's a good way to get started. Scientific curiosity, inhibiting that seems like a different problem, a different thing than inhibiting 
or controlling or regulating big science with its big enterprise. You know, in an example, one of the most talked about examples today of uh, how the government is, uh, should or shouldn't restrict uh, scientific inquiry has to do with stem cell research. Is this good science or bad science? Should we fund stem cell research or should we not? Our roving philosophical reporter, Zoe Corneli, asked these very questions. Her report starts with this speech by President Bush. Embryonic stem cell research offers both great promise and great peril. So I have decided we must proceed with great care. On August 9, 2001, President Bush announced the federal government would only provide funding for research on existing stem cell lines. This allows us to explore the promise and potential of stem cell research without crossing a fundamental moral line by providing taxpayer funding that would sanction or encourage further destruction of human embryos that have at least the potential for life. At the time, the Washington Post wrote, the decision represents essentially the most restrictive use of federal money the administration could have permitted, short of a ban. In the years that followed, state governments and private organizations announced their own initiatives to fund and promote stem cell research. There's a commitment on the part of the institution um, to move this area forward as quickly as we can, and so we're doing it with the resources we have available. Arnold Krigstein is the director of the Institute for Regeneration Medicine at the University of California, San Francisco. And so uh, we're moving as quickly as we can. The federal restrictions, on the other hand, are indeed slowing it down, even here in California and certainly in other states uh, around the country. And so we're hoping eventually that those restrictions will be lifted. Here in Krigstein's lab, researchers are preparing cells for neurological studies, Krigstein says using stem cells holds promise beyond what conventional studies have been able to produce. The ability to uh, use actual human disease cells uh, in the laboratory and to study them directly means that the uh, likelihood of a treatment that might work on these cells in the dish is much greater when it translates into a, a patient therapy. Despite his enthusiasm, Krigstein recognizes his work comes with particular ethical challenges. I think that it's important that uh, studies that uh, that involve human embryonic stem cells need to be scrutinized not just from the potential of whether it's technically feasible, but whether it's in fact ethically uh, something that we should be engaged in or not. Krigstein says UCSF's Ethics Committee considers a range of issues, from the frequent argument that destroying an embryo is wrong, to questions that could have come out of a science fiction story. For example, Krigstein says stem cells could be used to grow human tissue, even brain tissue, which could then be implanted into an animal. Is there a risk of, in a sense, humanizing an animal or creating a chimera where there's a mixture of human and, and animal cells in a way that, that we would consider would be unethical? Right now, these are theoretical considerations. We're not uh, able to do anything like this. But the potential of uh, combining human cells with animal cells and getting them to be viable organisms, that does exist. There are also some more practical questions. If stem cell research does provide miracle cures, won't the benefits be limited to those who can afford them? Krigstein says we can solve that question when the technology actually exists. I don't think that, the, that that concern should prevent us, for example, here at UCSF and elsewhere, from moving ahead in this field. Uh, I think it is a problem that we, we do worry about um, and are concerned with, but I, I'm hopeful that uh, solutions will, will arise. The ethical conflicts surrounding stem cell research won't be resolved anytime soon. The House and Senate both passed bills this year that would loosen the federal restrictions on funding, but President Bush has promised to veto them. For Philosophy Talk, I'm Zoe Corneli.
You can listen to the rest of this episode by purchasing it on iTunes Music. Or for unlimited listening, subscribe to our archive at philosophytalk.org.